Amen. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn first to the book of Ezra, and then hopefully you got your, your, the book of Haggai marked as well. I have titled, um, to me it's an odd title, but I think it's the best title I, I could come up with, I, I believe, following the Lord, uh, but I've named it The Ways of Men uh, from some of the preachings and some of the writings um, from Ezra, Haggai, and Zechariah. So please, again, take your Bible and go first to the book of Ezra. And while you're turning there, we're not going to read just yet, but go to Ezra chapter 4, actually. Um, I want to, while you're there, I want to read a couple other verses to you from some other passages that are not in uh, these verses. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And then also in Proverbs 4, verse 19, the Bible states, The way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble. But then also in Proverbs 4, 18, the Bible states, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So let me read part of those two verses again in a, in a different order. So the Bible says, The way of the wicked is as darkness, but the path of the just is as a shining light. In other words, in this life, even as believers, I think we can say especially as believers, we have our way of doing things, and then there's God's way of doing things. The ways of men versus the way of God. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says, or God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, the, the title for today's sermon is simply The Ways of Men, with a focus on how our ways can become His ways according to His Word. According to His Word. And with that said, Please stand and follow along in your Bible there in Ezra chapter 4. Look at verse number 23. Ezra chapter 4, verse 23. The Bible says, Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shemshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then, verse 1 of chapter 5, Then the prophets Haggai, the, pro the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. And then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping them. Let's go to the Lord a prayer in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you again this morning. We thank you for the reading of your word. We ask that you bless the reading of your word. Help it to not return void. We know that's a promise. Lord, help us to do our part in receiving it. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, please be seated. So here we are in the book of Ezra. Haggai and Zechariah. You can maybe leave a marker in Ezra. I don't know if we're going to return back to that. We'll, we'll definitely mention it, and it'll be comfortable to go back to that. But time-wise, 
give you the big picture here. The Jews are back in Jerusalem after their 70-year captivity in the Babylonian Empire. We've been talking about that for a while. Um, some of the books are in the Bible. They're in the order of emphasis, not necessarily the order chronologically. So we've talked already about the, the time in Babylon already. We've talked about even some things after Babylon. But here we are back at this. The Jews who were in uh, captivity for 70 years have, have been allowed uh, to return. We have a, a degree from Artaxerxes. We have a degree from Cyrus uh, and letting, allowing these folks uh, uh, to return. And even though they were pretty much cured from idol worship, the Jews that is, and if you study out the, the nation of Israel, after that Babylonian captivity, they never returned to idol worship. Not even close. No hands, no, no things made of hands, no idols, any, any of those things. There were still some issues, as we see in the New Testament, but they never went back to idol worship. Even though, even though that's the case, this transition from captivity in Babylon back to a free nation, if you will, in Jerusalem would not come natural. There would, there would need to be some adjustments. And many of the Jews who were coming back grew up in captivity. They either had never seen Jerusalem or they were too young when they, uh, when they left there, so they don't remember Jerusalem. There are some, as we'll see, who remembered the former, uh, what it was used to like. But all of that said, it's 70 years I mean, has anybody, has any of y'all lived someplace for 70 years and then moved and had to not make any transitions? I mean, I've been on some short military deployments, and you get back, there are some transitions. There are some transitions when you move there. There are some transitions when you come back. And these Jews, as a nation, had been in captivity for 70 years. Now, their captivity was not in bars and behind in jails and stuff like that. It was just a, a ruling thumb, if you will, over, over, these, over these people. So... Their ways, as they move back to Jerusalem, their ways seemed right unto them, but God wanted them to follow a different path. God wanted them to follow the path of the just. He wanted them to be His people still and to act like His people. So He sent prophets over and over again to shine a divine light. Remember we talked about in the beginning, the way of the wicked is as darkness, but the way of the righteous, the way of the just, is as a shining light. So God sent prophets to them to shine light on their ways, on the ways of men. And two of the prophets during this national reset for the, for the Jews were Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, we just read about their introduction there in, uh, in Ezra chapter 5. Zechariah is mentioned in a couple other places, but that's the first place we see the prophet Haggai. So this period that they're living in, so just give you another big picture on a timeline, if you will. So you got um, the Jews out of Egypt, and then through lots of ups and downs, um, they have you know King David there, and then the, the the nation split between the north and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom gets taken away by Assyria. The southern kingdom, Judah, goes away to Babylon for 70 years, and now they're back in Jerusalem, and this period is called the post-exilic time. They're out of exile, so they're back uh, home in, uh, in Jerusalem. So this period, again, is often called the post-exilic period, referring to the time in Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile and before the close of the Old Testament Scripture. It technically could be, you know, even today, uh, or maybe up until the time of Christ, but when you read about certain things, it's usually to the close of the, of the canon, and then the canon, but those silent years are referred to as something different here. 
So therefore, all the books written during this time are, no surprise, called the post-exilic books. And they include Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And even though the life events recorded in the book of Esther were obviously not in Jerusalem, they were after uh, the, the, the time that uh, they were a, it was, the book of Esther is considered a post-exilic book, or it is post-exilic, uh, because it's after the time of the Babylonian captivity. And then here in Haggai, chapter 1, um, so I want to I say that these folks that are coming back, they're there in Jerusalem, and one of the, the main goals is to rebuild the temple, right? So they're going to go through a period of time uh, of rebuilding this temple and to get it back to where it was. So to keep their ways right, to keep their hearts right, and to keep them motivated in building that temple, God sent them prophets. Now, he's already used Ezra uh, to build this temple and uh, to get it started, if you will. But Ezra needed, Ezra was a scribe. He wasn't necessarily a preacher. So God raised up these preachers, Haggai and Zechariah, to assist with the nation of Israel. And here in chapter 1, we read about Haggai's very first recorded sermon to these post-exilic Jews who have returned from Babylon. So look at verse number 1. And I'm not going to focus right now on the timeline. I'll mention it here in a moment, but look right there in the first number of verse, in the first verse, in the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord. Now we'll come back to that significance of that, or at least use that for a, a pattern of this sermon. So just remember that it's the second year of Darius in the sixth month. The word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the, the kind of the governor of Judah at this time, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. So there's Zerubbabel as the governor, Joshua, the high priest. Zechariah, we'll talk more about him later on. Um, but verse number two says, Then or thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, the, This people, the, uh, this people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house, the temple, be lying waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe uh, ye clothe you, but there is none warm, and he that earneth wages earneth wages to be put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did a blow upon it. Why? Mine house that is waste. And ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the land. So number one, he tells us twice here in this text for them to consider their ways. Consider your ways. Again, the timeline. Second year of King Darius, uh, Darius um, in the sixth month. Now, this is actually about 15 years or so since the, since the Jews had returned to Babylon. 15, 16 years, somewhere around there. Back in Ezra, we learned that for about five years, 
they are 10 years or so, they worked hard. No, no, five years, they worked hard on the building, but then they're, they're raised some slight opposition to the building of the temple. Now, this is not the opposition that we read about in Nehemiah with Sanballat and all those things. That's not there yet. But we, they did get some slight opposition, and they lost momentum. Again, Ezra 4.24 says, Because of that opposition, then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And because of this, God raised up this preacher named Haggai. And his primary purpose, along with Zechariah a little bit later, and the other post-exilic prophets was to help the Jews keep their way and here in time to rebuild that temple. But the Jews lost their way. They began to focus more on self. And they lost their way. They focused less on the things of God. They went to building their own houses while God's house laid in waste. So get that now. One of the reasons, one of the tasks that God gave them upon their return was to build the temple, and they got a little bit of ridicule, and they stopped building the temple and went to finish their house, sealed them and everything. They were living in comfort, so to speak, compared to what the temple was like. They began to focus more on themselves and less on the things of God. And through the prophet Haggai, God says two times in this text, consider your ways. And if I can put verses 4 through 6 in a modern application, I would say something like this. Many times we look for fulfillment in our homes, in our careers, maybe in our wages. We strive for and earn so much in life, and yet we never have enough. And God says, consider your ways. This application, I believe, is twofold. Because not only are we to consider our actions as in the Jews not building the temple, maybe their lack of action, but also our motives. Why were they not building the temple? So they were, not, they were being disobedient, but they were being disobedient because of outside pressure, because of the, the ridicule they were receiving. In other words, we could ask ourselves, why do we do the things we do? You know, our actions are just as important as the motives behind our actions. Our actions are just as important as the motive behind our actions. What are our ways? What are our ways? God could ask us very easily. And why are these our ways? This is what I think God is telling uh, Haggai to preach to these Jews here. Consider your ways. What are you not doing? What are you doing? And why are you not doing it? And why are you doing that? I could say, I could ask myself this question Do I live godly during the week? Do I live morally during the week? And whatever my answer is to that, I can, my, next, my next question would be is, why? Why do I live godly? Why do I strive to be honest? What is my motive behind that? Because, again, it matters just as much as being honest. And I think we get the idea through God's Word that for us in time here today, in Germany, in Bavaria, in Hermannsdorf, God is saying to us, take a pause of your life for a moment and look at it. Pause and look at your life and consider your ways. And then he could easily say, are your ways for me? Are you doing it for me? Do you live for me because of me? For the Jews, opposition to the temple construction was, was, was indeed there. It was present. And it would eventually get more and more dangerous for them to build that temple, especially the walls around the temple when we get to Nehemiah. But at this point, it was mostly just ridicule. They were just 
Hey, why are you doing that? Who gave you authority? It was rhetoric, if you will. And the Jews backed down. For a week? For a month? No. Ten years. Ten years they backed down from the rhetoric and the ridicule of those in the land, the Samaritans, if you will. Ten years. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Okay. <laughs> go to church. You shouldn't go to church. Okay. That's, that's their response. And God says, consider your ways. Why are you not building my temple? Why are you not doing the things that I want you to do? Consider your ways and specifically here, get back to work. Get back to work. Jump down to chapter 1, or or, or chapter 2 rather. Look at verse number 1. So in this passage we just read, in the sixth month, he is saying consider your ways. But look at verse number 1 of chapter 2. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. Be strong and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear not. So again, the previous chapter began with the first day of the sixth month, and that chapter actually concluded with the 24th day of the same month. In fact, let's, let's go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 12, and we'll read down to verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed. So they went to work. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God had sent them, uh, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's ma- uh, message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and he stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and did work in the house of the Lord of the host, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. It's very interesting to me that God used Haggai to preach to his disobedient people. They obeyed, and then God stirred up their hearts to go do what God had told them to do in the first place. So Haggai boldly preached for the Jews to consider their ways before God. They responded properly, and the temple construction resumed after 10 years of just laying waste. But there was still a problem. There was still a problem. They They began to realize, they began to look at what they were building. They looked at the temple. They realized that this new temple was nothing like the old. In fact, this temple, it's called Zerubbabel's temple. You'll see it many times in modern-day literature as Herod's temple. It's been modified a little bit, but this is the temple that Jesus would have been, that would have been there when Jesus walked this earth. But again, there's still a problem. They began to look at this new temple, and it was nothing like the former. And in here, I think that our takeaway is there in verse, verse number 4 of chapter 2. God says through Haggai, 
be strong. Be strong, be strong, be strong. So number two this morning, the ways of men, how to get them into the ways of God, especially after we consider our ways, is to consolidate our ways. Now, I chose this word because I believe it truly captures the essence of what Haggai was trying to convey to them. And it starts with the right letter, <laughs> but more of the first one. Uh, so consolidate actually means to strengthen. It means to bring all of your efforts together in a point, in, a, in the right area. For the Jew, and here in time, this was, again, for temple construction. God says, bring all of your efforts collectively and individually together and focus on building this temple. Three times through Haggai, God says, be strong. Be strong, O Israel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all ye people of the land. Three times he says, be strong. And then he kind of gives them a reason why to be strong. Why? I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. He says, don't concern yourself with the outcome. Be strong and work. Build my temple. I'm with you. And friends, that's enough to know that God's with us. And second, he says, what you are building, yeah, it might not look like much compared to the, old, the first one, but it is only a shadow and a precursor to the real. And it's only a shadow and a precursor to the greater future temple that will be built. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. This is the millennial temple where Jesus himself will be in there and they will be worshiping him. So that temple, not even Solomon's temple, will come close to the magnificence of the millennial temple. Trust me, God says, be strong and build the temple before you. And while God's words, if we look at this, God's words through Haggai were clearly and specifically to the post-exilic Jews to build the temple. There's not much we can take from that. We're not building the temple, but there are some applications. Most definitely, there are some applications for us. Number one, God is with us. God is with us. If you know Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you have the Holy Spirit of God living here. Now, as Christians, maybe we hear that a lot, but that's really a big deal. I mean, this is the God who created the world, the God who brought the seas together and the lands and all those things, who flung the stars and spread the, spread the heavens into its current location and even, even uh, on those things. This is the, this is the God that um, made axe heads floats and made the sun stand still, all of those things over and over and over again. That's the same God is here, the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says that we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So not only is God with us, we also work with God. So just like God gave the Jews two good reasons to be strong, we also have two and many other good reasons to stay the course. After giving the Great Commission, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And in Romans 8.18, Paul wrote, For I reckon, I like that, he must have been from the south, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So just like God was with the Jews in the rebuilding of His temple, He is also with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like the Jews were told to look forward to a greater day, even when they could not see the glory of the future temple before them, because of that, we too sometimes struggle 
with what's before us. We're not supposed to focus on those things so much, not to keep us off track anyway. We're to look forward to what's greater. Keep our eyes on the cross because nothing in this life, nothing in this life compares with the glory which shall be revealed in us in the person of Jesus Christ. Nothing. The Bible says when, when uh, Bathsheba went to go see Solomon, I, I, think, I think I got that time right, um, she got there and she was blown away, if you will, using a modern-day uh, word there. She was blown away about the, the vastness of his kingdom, the glory of his kingdom. She even said how, how great it was that his servants actually obeyed him, and they were happy in that obedience. And she told him the half has not been told about your kingdom. Friends, the half has not been told about what we got before us. I don't think even a quarter has been told. In fact, in this concept here, we will also see this promised temple. So what's our takeaway real quick? We are to consider our ways. We are to make sure we are working God's work with God's motives. And regardless, regardless of what's before us, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, we are to consolidate our efforts in order to accomplish what God has set before us. And think about this. As a church and as a as a Christian in the time in which we live, what is the greatest mission that we have? And how do we do that? How do we, how do we, how do we glorify the Lord in action? What do we do? What's our greatest mission? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. So we are to consolidate our efforts in the task of global evangelism. We're to do it as individuals. We're to do it as a family. We're to do it as a church. We're to do it as churches. This is why we have missions program. We, we pray for our missionaries. We, we send funds to our missionaries. We want the gospel to go all over the world. This is something that we should consult. This is the greatest mission that we have. To fail that the one task that God's given us is to be disobedient. We must consolidate our efforts. But back in our text, we see that the Jews are more like us than we might think, or maybe we're more like them than we might think. Remember again that this is the end of the seventh month. The other sermon was in the sixth month. In other words, Haggai preached two messages in the second year of King Darius that we have recorded, one in the sixth month and one in the seventh month. Now go to Zechariah chapter 1. This is just one page over maybe. And now we see that in the eighth month, also in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, right there in verse number one. The, in the eighth month, verse two says, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. So get this now in a bigger picture here of what's going on. After more than a decade of the temple just lying in ruins, not even the foundation was built, God stirred up the people to rebuild His temple through Haggai's two sermons. So they've, they've started construction, if you will. The temple was underway, and the Jews began to offer sacrifices already on the rebuilt altar of the temple. But there was still a problem. You see, Haggai had managed to get the people moving, in the right direction. They took into consideration their ways and that they were God's people and they consolidated their efforts to build that temple. But it seems that Haggai's message of consider your ways had not sunk deep enough into their hearts. Many were only going through the motions, if you will. 
I like to put it this way, they were not all in. They were doing, but they were not all in. It looked all right on the outside, but it was much different on the inside. So God raises up Haggai to give another message, but that message is not into the next month. He raises up Zechariah, this young prophet, with a message of repentance. Zechariah was very young, probably in his early 20s, Haggai being a little bit older, and he message, it raises him up to preach his very first message of repentance, and he tells the Jews to change your ways. I mean, think about boldness. So Haggai's there, and he's preaching, and Zechariah in his 20s comes along, and it's not like, hey, follow what Haggai said. Not, not, not riding on the coattails of Haggai, if you will. He comes in and says, y'all are not doing it for the right reason. You need to change your ways. I mean, again, talk about boldness. Zechariah had no problem preaching in what could be called the shadow of Haggai because God used Zechariah to shine just as bright. Matter of fact, we have two chapters from Haggai. We have 14 chapters from this young prophet. He preached repentance. Get this now. This is a strong application to us, I think. He preached repentance to a nation who appeared to be doing right. It's like he went into the churches and everybody was looking. I mean, cookie cutter, everything is right. And he says, I don't think so. He preached repentance to a people who appeared to be doing right. They were rebuilding the temple. They were even offering sacrifices, but God says, turn ye unto me. How do we know this is the fact? We see it right here in the text. Change your ways, Zechariah says. Look at the verses there. Be ye not, look at there, verse number four. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I have commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? I was thinking when I was putting this sermon together, the first thing in this part of the sermon that came to my mind is how often do we walk the walk and talk the talk, but if we're close to God, He says, turn unto me. How often do I go through my own little week, if you will, my Mondays, my Tuesdays, and on and on, going through my own little regime, and God just maybe around Thursday says, what have you been doing? All of this has not been for me. You're just going through the motions. Turn unto me, and I will turn unto you. You know, to the person who only sees the outside, the Jews were indeed doing what they were supposed to do, right? They were building the temple. They were working. They were even worshiping. But God knows the difference. God told Samuel, The Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Again, God says to these folks here, Turn ye unto me. I don't know where your heart's at. We could all be 100% right where we need to be, and praise God if that's the case. But by my own experience, I know there's times when we're not. I know there's times when I just need to... Lord, I'm not doing it. I've did everything. I've worshipped. I've, I've tithed. I've read my Bible. I've prayed. I've did all these things. And then I look back and I didn't do it for Him. I know we go through those things. God says, turn unto me. 
we get the idea here in the text that they worked on the temple six days a week because that's the Mosaic way, right? And then they worshiped on the Sabbath. Six days a week working at the church, if you will, and then worshiping. But they were not all in. That would look like they were all in, right? I worked six days a week at the church. But they were not all in. And as we talked about last week, when God only has half our heart, He doesn't have any of it. Granted, it appears that the Jews were more than halfway committed. I would argue that. I would argue that most Christians today, or I hope most Christians, are more than halfway committed. I don't know if that's a true statement or not, but when many of the Jews in exile, of those Jews, these were, these had volunteered. You know, we have that thing in the army where, you know, they're, they're a two-time volunteer, and we have this mindset that they're, they're better than other soldiers. Maybe they're more committed, whatever it may be. But these are some volunteers. When many of the Jews in exile, whether in Babylon or Persia, they chose to stay in exile. Many of the Jews chose to stay in exile. This remnant chose to be faithful and return to, to Jerusalem. The book of Ezra gives that, uh, states that a little over 42,000 people returned to Jerusalem, a mere fraction of what the nation would have been, 600, 700,000 when it was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. And no doubt they multiplied over the 70 years, but only 40-some thousand people returned. And while they struggled with some minor oppositions there in Jerusalem, and they struggled with some commitment issues, they were now rebuilding the temple. They were worshiping. But God says, turn ye unto me. Zechariah then preaches a great truth. He says, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, did they not ring true? In other words, don't follow that's a hard thing to preach, I think. Don't follow the wicked example of your father. They're the reason you're in the predicament you're in. Don't follow them, follow me. I think as a father, we should all come to that conclusion. Follow me when I follow God, but don't follow me when I do not follow God. The same is true of being a pastor. Don't follow the wicked example of your fathers. Don't follow them, God says, follow me. Zacharias pointed out they're dead. Even the prophets were dead. But my words are not. My words and my statutes live on. Put differently, he is saying, hear and obey the Word of God because it does not change. And the Word of God never changes, nor should we try to change it. You know, it's not a truth to me and a different truth to you. It's the Word of God. It's one truth. It's His truth. I like that verse that says it's forever settled in heaven, the Word of God, forever settled in heaven. Because that's, we can do all we want down here in these pages. It's settled in heaven. The words do not change. It never changes. Remember, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But the path of the just is as a shining light. Through Zechariah, God told the post-exilic Jews to turn completely from their evil ways and turn completely to Him. Change from your ways to my ways, and if you will turn to me, I will turn to you. What a promise. What a promise to God's people. And what a simple solution to a victorious life for even modern-day Christians. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. To the Jews going, in, going into captivity on the other end of that 70 
your uh, captivity. God told them the same thing through Jeremiah. He says, if ye shall seek me and find me, or you will seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Even today, James 4, 8 says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. I think we can definitively say that God wants his people to turn unto him and to stay with him to turn from our ways and to turn into His ways. Listen, this is not just a message for the Jews. It's not just a message for the backsliding Christians who's out playing whatever today, wherever he may be when he's not in church, whatever that may be. This is a message for all Christians because we all, like the song says, are prone to wander. We're prone to have our own ways. I'm convinced that we get our way more than God gets His way. And He doesn't want half a heart. He doesn't want 75% of your heart. He doesn't want 99% of your heart. He wants all of you. He created us. He has the copyright. And for those of us who are not all in, I'm there. Every week I'm there. He knows. He knows. And he says, turn unto me, and I will turn unto you. What a passage. What a passage. And then right after Zechariah delivers his very first sermon to the Jewish remnant, God adds in two more messages from Zechariah or from Haggai. We'll look at one of them and we'll 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 table the other one. So turn back to Haggai chapter two and look at verse number ten. He writes there in verse number ten, in the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year again of Darius, came the word of the Lord. By Haggai the prophet. So we see a progress here, month six, month seven, and so forth. In four successive months from two different prophets, God delivers at least one sermon a month to keep the post-exilic Jews on the path of righteousness. And if we were to use our standards of months in June, I didn't know this when I was putting this together. I thought it was kind of unique. But month six would be our June. God said, consider your ways. In July, he says, consolidate your ways. And in August, he says, change your ways. And here we are in September in the ninth month, and he says, continue in his ways, in his ways, in God's ways. Look on down to verse number 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priest concerning the law. If one bear holy flesh, now this is some very ceremonial mosaic wording here, so bear with me. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, no. And then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. And then answered Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and that which they offer there is unclean. Therefore, and now I pray you, consider from this day and upward from before a stone. And he goes on and on about, the, about these things. But I want to point out a couple things here. The next message after this one was on the very same day, the same day as this third message from Haggai. And it was directly to Zerubbabel, and it was all about the millennial reign of Christ. It was all about a 100% future and unconditional, mind you. This current message, however, was to the priest and how they led the remnant in worship, or as they led the remnant in worship. And this passage here, this message, is a culmination, I believe, of all of Haggai's 
previous messages. It's built upon all of those previous messages, including, I say, I would believe, the one from Zechariah in the previous month. What is this message? Stay the course. Stay the course. Continue in my way. Now, we can read that. We can almost come away where God is telling them, you're wicked and nothing you have is to offer here. But we know because of the success of months, they are They are building the temple. They are working. They are responding to God. God is working in their heart. The temple was being rebuilt. They have consolidated the ways. They've even changed their ways. They've built on it a little bit. So God here is reminding them how easy it is to fall back, how easy it is to go back. Isn't that true? We can go for a week or a month or something like that and live in right for the Lord, but in a moment, we can go right back to where we were. And it seems like it takes forever to get back to where God wants us to be. That's not because of Him. That's because of our lack of turning to Him. So God reminded them how easy it is to go back to that state. Just like the garment doesn't make the offering holy, and just like a little bit of unclean makes it all unclean, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So Haggai's, ref- Haggai's words refer to them, he's referring to before they began this work. Verse 15, look at that. From before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. But now, as verse 18 states, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Consider what, you might ask? Consider your continued ways. Continue in my ways. Notice the last, I like this passage, notice the last, or notice the first seven words, rather, of verse 19. The first few words of verse 19, very agricultural, if you will. Is the seed yet in the barn? Is the seed yet in the barn? Is the harvest done yet? Is your work over yet? Is the temple done? Are the roads finished? Are the walls built? Has the Lord returned? Has the rapture happened? Are you in the millennial kingdom? Are you in heaven? Is the seed in the barn? No. So if it's not, stay the course. Continue. Continue building the temple. Continue to consider your ways. Continue in the strength God has given for His work. Continue in God's ways. And for us, the message is the same. Continue. Continue. Galatians 6 9 says, Let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen, we are to keep the faith. We got to keep going. If there's ever a time in our lives, is it not evident that we as Christians must stand for our faith and keep the faith, keep it going, stand tall? We must continue in God's ways. We are to keep on keeping on, no matter what we look at, no matter what the temple looks like in front of us, we are to keep on going on, no matter the circumstance, no matter the consequence, continue in His ways, not our ways, because the seed is not yet in the barn. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Again, the way of the wicked is as darkness but the path of the just is as a shining light. Continue in His ways, not our ways. Let us go to the Lord in prayer.